Section four of a book of Sibyls by Anne Thackeray Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mrs. Barbold, Part four. Soon after the marriage, there had been some thought of a college for young ladies, of which Mrs. Barbold was to be the principal, but she shrank from the idea and in a letter to mrs montague she objects to the scheme of higher education for women away from their natural homes i should have little hope of cultivating a love of knowledge in a young lady of fifteen who came to me ignorant and uncultivated it is too late then to begin to learn the empire of the passions is coming on those attachments begin to be formed which influence the happiness of future life the care of a mother alone can give suitable attention to this important period it is true that the rigidness of her own home had not prevented her from making a hasty and unsuitable marriage but it is not this which is weighing on her mind perhaps you may think she says that having myself stepped out of the bounds of female reserve in becoming an author it is with an ill grace that i offer these statements her arguments seemed to have been thought conclusive in those days and the young ladies college was finally transmuted into a school for little boys at palgrave in norfolk and thither the worthy couple transported themselves one of the letters to miss belsham is thus dated the fourteenth of july in the village of palgrave the pleasantest village in all england at ten o'clock all alone in my great parlour mr barbold being studying a sermon do i begin a letter to my dear betsy when she first married and travelled into norfolk to keep school at palgrave nothing could have seemed more tranquil more contented more matter-of-fact than her life as it appears from her letters dreams and fancies and gay illusions and excitements have made way for the somewhat disappointing realization of mr barbold with his neatly turned and friendly postscripts a husband polite devoted it is true but somewhat disappointing all the same the next few years seem like years in a hive storing honey for the future and putting away industrious punctual monotonous there are children's lessons to be heard and school treats to be devised she sets them to act plays and cuts out paper collars for henry the fourth she always takes a class of babies entirely her own one of these babies who always loved her became lord chancellor denman most of the others took less brilliant but equally respectable places in after life she has also household matters and correspondence not to be neglected in the holidays they make excursions to norwich to london and revisit their old haunts at warrington in one of her early letters soon after her marriage she describes her return to warrington dr enfield's face she declares is grown half a foot longer since i saw him with studying mathematics and for want of a game of romps for there are positively none now at warrington but grave matrons i who have but half assumed the character was ashamed of the levity of my behaviour it says well indeed for the natural brightness of the lady's disposition that with sixteen boarders and a satisfactory usher to look after she should be prepared for a game of romps with dr enfield on another occasion in seventeen seventy seven she takes little charles away with her he has indeed been an excellent traveller she says 
and though like his great ancestor some natural tears he shed like him too he wiped them soon he had a long sound sleep last night and has been very busy to-day hunting the puss and the chickens and now my dear brother and sister let me thank you again for this precious gift the value of which we are both more and more sensible of as we become better acquainted with his sweet disposition and winning manners she winds up this letter with a postscript everybody here asks pray is dr dodd really to be executed as if we knew the more for having been at warrington dr aiken mrs barbold's brother the father of little charles and of lucy aiken whose name is well known in literature was himself a man of great parts industry and ability working hard to support his family he alternated between medicine and literature all his life when his health failed he gave up medicine and settled at stoke newington and busied himself with periodic literature meanwhile whatever his own pursuits may have been he never ceased to take an interest in his sister's work and to encourage her in every way it is noteworthy that few of mrs barbold's earlier productions equalled what she wrote at the very end of her life she seems to have been one of those who ripen with age growing wider in spirit with increasing years perhaps too she may have been influenced by the change of manners the reaction against formalism which was growing up as her own days were ending prim she may have been in manner but she was not a formalist by nature and even at eighty was ready to learn to submit to accept the new gospel that wordsworth and his disciples had given to the world and to shake off the stiffness of early training it is idle to speculate on what might have been if things had happened otherwise if the daily stress of anxiety and perplexity which haunted her home had been removed difficulties and anxieties which may well have absorbed all the spare energy and interest that under happier circumstances might have been added to the treasury of english literature but if it were only for one ode written when the distracting cares of over seventy years were ending when nothing remained to her but the essence of a long past and the inspirations of a still glowing still hopeful and most tender spirit if it were only for the ode called life which has brought a sense of ease and comfort to so many mrs barbold has indeed deserved well of her country people and should be held in remembrance by them her literary works are after all not very voluminous she is best known by her hymns for children and her early lessons than which nothing more childlike has ever been devised and we can agree with her brother dr aiken when he says that it requires true genius to enter so completely into a child's mind after their first volume of verse the brother and sister had published a second in prose called miscellaneous pieces about which there is an amusing little anecdote in rogers memoirs fox met dr aiken at dinner i am greatly pleased with your miscellaneous pieces said fox aiken bowed i particularly admire continued fox your essay against inconsistency in our expectations that replied aiken is my sister's i like much returned fox your essay on monastic institutions that answered aiken is also my sister's 
fox thought it best to say no more about the book these essays were followed by various of the visions and eastern pieces then so much in vogue also by political verses and pamphlets which seemed to have made a great sensation at the time but mrs barbold's turn was on the whole more for domestic than for literary life although literary people always seemed to have had a great interest for her during one christmas which they spent in london the worthy couple go to see mrs siddons and mrs chapone introduces mrs barbold to miss burney a very unaffected modest sweet and pleasing young lady says mrs barbold who is always kind in her descriptions mrs barbold's one complaint in london is of the fatigue from hairdressers and the bewildering hurry of the great city where she had notwithstanding her quiet country life many ties and friendships and acquaintances her poem on corsica had brought her into some relations with boswell she also knew goldsmith and dr johnson here is her description of the great bear i do not mean that one which shines in the sky over your head but the bear that shines in london a great rough surly animal his christian name is dr johnson tis a singular creature but if you stroke him he will not bite and though he growls sometimes he is not ill-humoured johnson describes mrs barbold as suckling fools and chronicling small beer there was not much sympathy between the two characters such as johnson's harmonize best with the enthusiastic and easily influenced mrs barbold did not belong to this class she trusted to her own judgment rarely tried to influence others and took a matter-of-fact rather than a passionate view of life she is as severe to him in her criticism as he was in his judgment of her they neither of them did the other justice a christian and a man about town a philosopher and a bigot acknowledging life to be miserable and making it more miserable through fear of death so she writes of him and all this was true but how much more was also true of the great and hypochondriacal old man some years afterwards when she had been reading boswell's long-expected life of johnson she wrote of the book it is like going to ranelagh you meet all your acquaintances but it is a base and mean thing to bring thus every idle word into judgment in our own day we too have our boswell and our johnson to arouse discussion and indignation have you seen boswell's life of johnson he calls it a flemish portrait and so it is two quartos of a man's conversation and petty habits then the treachery and meanness of watching a man for years in order to set down every unguarded and idle word he uttered is inconceivable yet with all this one cannot help reading a good deal of it this is addressed to the faithful betsy who was also keeping school by that time and assuming brevet rank in consequence mrs barbold might well complain of the fatigue from hairdressers in london in one of her letters to her friend she thus describes a lady's dress of the period do you know how to dress yourself in dublin if you do not i will tell you your waist must be the circumference of two oranges no more you must erect a structure on your head gradually ascending to a foot high exclusive of feathers and stretching to a penthouse of most horrible projection behind 
the breadth from wing to wing considerably broader than your shoulder and as many different things in your cap as in noah's ark verily i never did see such monsters as the heads now in vogue i am a monster too but a moderate one she must have been glad to get back to her home to her daily work to charles climbing his trees and talking his nonsense in the winter of seventeen eighty four her mother died at palgrave it was christmas week the old lady had come travelling four days through the snow in a post-chaise with her maid and her little grandchildren while her son rode on horseback but the cold and the fatigue of the journey and the discomfort of the inns proved too much for mrs aiken who reached her daughter's house only to die just that time three years before mrs barbold had lost her father whom she dearly loved there is a striking letter from the widowed mother to her daughter recording the event it is almost spartan in its calmness but nevertheless deeply touching now she too was at rest and after mrs aiken's death a cloud of sadness and depression seems to have fallen upon the household mr barbold was ailing he was suffering from a nervous irritability which occasionally quite unfitted him for his work as a schoolmaster already his wife must have had many things to bear and very much to try her courage and cheerfulness and now her health was also failing it was in seventeen seventy five that they gave up the academy which on the whole had greatly flourished it had been established eleven years they were both of them in need of rest and change nevertheless it was not without reluctance that they brought themselves to leave their home at palgrave a successor was found only too quickly for mrs barbold's wishes they handed over their pupils to his care and went abroad for a year's sunshine and distraction End of section four.